At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? This morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy this morning, beginning in verse 3. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. And some of you have uh, so graciously uh, wondered in silence over the past few weeks as you've seen me walking around in this boot. And uh, I, thought I, I thought after like six weeks I'd tell you what's going on. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, but um, I have uh, Achilles tendinosis, which basically means I've overused my Achilles to the point of, of it hurting. <laughs> so, so the doctors try to put me in this immobilization boot for uh, up to eight weeks. And so I've just passed week five, so I've got several weeks to go. And uh, we're thankful for the Lord in, in medicine and the way it helps us get back to the things that we love to do. And so... That's kind of where we're at. All right, this morning, as we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 3, um, one of the things that I love about life and that, that Sarah and I have found uh, a lot of joy in over the years is renovating homes. We've had the opportunity to flip several homes uh, that we've lived in. We've lived in them and fixed them up and then sold them, and we've loved playing the property ladder game, and um, what I love about uh, flipping homes is the fact that you get to um, buy a house and see the potential that's there, right? It, it may be dated, it may have some some things that need renovation, and and sometimes it's as simple as coming into a room and like slapping a fresh coat of paint on on some walls, and that totally just changes the feel and the vibe of the room. And and um, we we love doing that. We love updating it. Uh, we love flipping homes and. Um, one of the things that we've learned while updating is that there are a lot of things that you can do when you're, when you're renovating or, or bringing new life into a home. You can change flooring, you can change uh, wall, color, wall colors, uh, you can remove some walls, you can uh, take out cabinets and you can renovate bathrooms. There are a lot of things that you can do, but one of the things that Sarah and I learned early in on the process of, of flipping houses is that there are two things in a home that you can't mess with. There are two things that if you begin to mess with these homes will change the home and won't make it a safe place. Does anyone know what those are? Foundation and load-bearing walls, right? Those are two things you can't do anything. Now, I know there's, there's modern innovations. You can insert beams and all that, but you still, have to support the, the, you still have to support the walls, right? If you take out a load-bearing wall, it may look great. It doesn't matter how, how much you want to have an open concept, it doesn't matter how, how much you find that wall inconvenient. It doesn't matter. You take out a load-bearing wall, and your house eventually is going to fall, right? You also can't mess with the foundation, right? You mess with the foundation. You disturb the foundation. You disturb the whole thing. And what you have is no longer a house, but you'll have a pile of rubble, right? I say that to say is because what I've learned about house renovation is similar to what I've learned about the institution of the church. When you take a look at the church, there are some things in the church that, let's face it, can become dated. 
right? Like you have a church that's been around since 19, the 1930s, like this church. There's some things that are, there are modern innovations that make life in the church uh, updated, right? Like air conditioning, right? Who, who would want to come to a church that doesn't have air conditioning in the summertime, right? Like heat, Right? We need those things. Those are, those, are, those are things that the church didn't have years ago, but now the church can have, and no one's, no one's balking about it, right? We're not, we're not saying, let's do away with the AC. You know, I learned years ago that the, the church is typically, uh, when it comes to change, the slowest to change. Do you know who is the, the last institution to change to indoor lighting? The church. They kept using candles. The church kept using candles, and churches were burning down, and insurance companies, this is what caused them to change, is that insurance companies were no longer insuring churches because they continued to use candles. And so the church had to start using lighting. Right? Isn't that crazy? Now, I, I say all this because church looks a lot different now than it did when I was a kid, right? Like, I came to church on Sunday morning, and maybe some of you were like that, and we sang songs like how great the... Uh, um, how great is our God and all of that, right? We used to sing old hymns, and I used to wear a suit every Sunday morning, and all of that's changed. And you know what? All of that's, that's fine. Those things, are, we're able to change those things, right? We don't sing the same songs we did 57 years ago, right? But that does, that's, those are some things that are able to change. It doesn't matter what time we meet, right? We can meet at 11 o'clock in the morning. We can meet at 930. We can meet at 7 o'clock at night. That doesn't change. Those are some things inside the church that we can change. We can change the walls. We can remove walls. But there are some things inside of the church that if they are changed or they are altered, then the church may be an assembly of people, but it's no longer a church. Right, there may be, there, if, there, if we touch things, there are some things in the church like foundations and like load-bearing walls that we should not touch. And today as we take a look at our series, uh, Church, Why Bother? I want to talk about one of those. I want to talk about the most foundational aspects of the church that if we touch it, that if we alter it, then we cease to be a church. Oh, we may still gather together. We may have fellowship together. We may do life together. Uh, you may come over to my home for a meal. I may come over to your home for a meal. I may visit you while you're in the hospital. Right? We may be there when someone in, in our, uh, one of our family members dies. We may, do all the, we may be serving the poor. We may be doing all those things. But if we alter this foundational aspect of the church, then we cease to be the church. You know what that is? It's the gospel. Right, if we alter the gospel, if we change the gospel, then we cease to be the church. And I get it. I know the gospel's offensive. Right? The gospel in and of itself is offensive to the unbeliever. Why? Because it's a message that says that you are not okay. You have a deficiency. It's a message that says that you have a deficiency in and of yourself. You are not whole. There's something missing. There's something lacking. It's a message that says that you are a sinful person. But the gospel is even greater than that because not only does it highlight or diagnose the problem, but it in of itself is the cure. You are not okay, but Jesus. Right? That's the beauty of the gospel. And I love how Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. 
Oh, the gospel is so foundational to who we are that if we touch it, if we alter it, if we change it, we cease to be the church. Now, there have been many attempts throughout the ages to change the gospel, but I want you to understand the gospel that is preached here every Sunday is the same gospel that Jesus himself preached. It has not changed. Oh, we may package it a little bit different. Yeah, we may have screens and I may preach from an iPad, all all those things. Like those things are different, but the gospel has not been altered. The gospel has not been changed. It is the same today as it was when Jesus lived it out. So today, as we continue our series, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 20. And what we're going to see is, uh, remember, this letter is to, from Paul to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor in the church at Ephesus, and he's giving him instructions. Because remember, Paul is the apostle, given the responsibility by the Lord to establish and give, give bones to the church, give structure to the church. Not only doctrinally, but also um, in different ways of setting up and organizing the church. And so when Paul, from the Lord, gives doctrine to the church or instruction to the church, that's not to be altered. That's not to be changed. And so that's what Paul has been doing to Timothy. And today he's going to continue to give instructions to him. And the big idea that we're going to see from the passage today is that we are called to hold fast the gospel. In our generation, we are tasked as children of God to hold fast to the gospel. It's our only message. And so today as we look at this passage, we're going to see three reasons or three ways in which we hold fast to the gospel. Look at me in verse 3 of 1 Timothy. Paul writes, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine." nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully understanding this that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality enslavers liars perjurers and whatever is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel, the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. There's a lot there. We could spend a lot of time kind of unpacking just these few short verses, but what I want us to see is we're talking about holding fast to the gospel. In this text, we are called to hold the gospel so sincere faith and love may abound. The reason that we're to hold fast to the gospel is so that sincere faith and love may abound. Now, let's get into the context of what Paul is writing about here. Paul has given us instruction. He's told us that he has left Timothy in 
Ephesus and didn't take him on his journey of further chance, uh, church planting and other things because he wanted him to stay there with a specific purpose. Because there were some inside of the community, we have no idea how, how big of a group this was or how small of a group this was, but there was a group inside of the church that had a different agenda and a different doctrine that they were seeking to share inside of the community of faith. And so Paul is saying, hey, I, I, I want you to know that I, you're here so that you can call certain people out. When you see this happening, call people out. For this group of certain persons, it says, is identified as teaching a different doctrine. Or in essence, they were devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation. Now, Paul doesn't specifically exactly tell us what these teachings were, but he gives the assumption that, that Timothy knew exactly what was going on. He knew who they were, and he knew what they were teaching. It could be that these false teachers that were inside of the church had taken on a different way of looking at the Old Testament text. Instead of taking it as God's word, they, they saw it as allegory. Right? And if you take a look at all of God's word in the Old Testament, and if you uh, try to gain understanding from it by seeing it as allegory, then that's going to change the way you interpret it, and it's going to change the way you apply it into your old life. All right, so the word of God in the Old Testament is not allegory. It's not a, 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 physiological, uh, a, a physiological change. But it is historical, it is accurate, and it tells us of God, the God of the universe, interacting with his people. So whatever it is that they were teaching, it was a deviation from the truth of the gospel. So Paul is leaving Timothy behind and giving him the responsibility to charge these individuals to stop. Stop teaching this false truth inside of the body of Christ. And the reason that these teachings were so devious or detrimental to the church is because they were these people that were teaching it were devoting themselves to myths and genealogies that produce speculation. Now, speculation is damaging to the believer and it's detrimental to the church because speculation is not founded in truth. Right? When there is speculation, it's a, hey, I see these things and I think this, all of this means this. Right? And if we devote ourselves to speculation, we have no ground to stand upon because we can't know if it is true or not. An another um, biblical author or a, um, a theologian looking at 1 Timothy was saying that it, it, in, it would be a lot like today in our world, um, us believing conspiracy theories. Right? If we're, we're promoting conspiracy theories, if we're saying, hey, I see this out there and making connections that may not be founded in truth, if we live our lives, we know the dangers of conspiracy theories, right? We can fully give ourselves over to conspiracy theories and we can think that they're true and we can think that they're life and we can reorient our lives based around speculation and conspiracy theories in such a way that it does great damage because what, does, what do conspiracy theories do? They divide us. They don't bring us together. They're constantly seeking to divide, and that's what was happening here. So what Paul is saying is that the aim of our, 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 our love, or our aim of what we do, the aim of the gospel is not to divide people, but the aim of the gospel is love. And the aim of the gospel is love that comes from a pure heart. 
When we come to place faith in Jesus Christ, our heart is transformed. We go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And so we have the ability with a pure heart and a clear conscience. That means we have the right motives. So we have the right heart, we have the right motives, and we have a sincere faith. Meaning that our trust is deeply rooted in Christ himself. So that's our aim. Our aim is that we have a pure heart, clear conscience, and a right, pure, a sincere faith. And when we love in this way, when we live in this way, it brings people together. So what Paul is saying in verse 6, to summarize it, what he's saying is there are certain persons inside the church that have deviated from the gospel. They have swerved from it. And they have ended up in pride because of their vain, dis- or their, their vain discussions and arrogance because these people have desired to be teachers of the law, but it's also produced ignorance because they do this without understanding. So they undermine real love, true faith, and they undermine the gospel. And what's amazing about this is, is there are some that have so much believed inside the church this teaching that they, some have accepted that they even speak with confident assertions. Now, this is something we see happening in our world today a lot, right? People making confident assertions that are not founded in truth. And, and this is the way it looks. If you're the loudest voice in the room, you're right. That's what our culture says now. Right? You may even have the majority voice in the room, and these are confident assertions. Right? People are standing up and they're saying, hey, I know the truth. I know the way. Are you coming with me? And you may have the whole room full of people that are making confident assertions that are not based in truth, and now all they are is loud noise. Do not be swayed by the loud voices in our culture Do not be swayed by minority voices in our culture. Do not be swayed by majority voices of our culture. Allow the word of God to set your heart on what is true and nothing else. So whatever they were speaking, they were misusing the law. That's why Paul talks about it. They were speaking about the law but not understanding it. So Paul corrects the way the church is to view the law. You see, the law was not given to us so that we would compare ourselves to one another. The law was not given so that we could see the list of, of, of commandments or see the list of laws and look at each other and say, Oh, you've broken seven. I've only broken two. I'm good. You're bad. No, that's not the purpose of the law. Right, the purpose of the law is not to have us compare ourselves with one another. The purpose of the law is to help us each see individually how desperately we are all in need of salvation. Right, that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is just to say, hey, you're not good. You're not okay. You need a savior. You need someone to step in and fix all the ways that you are not. And so we see this. The, the law was not given or the law was given to help us to see our desperate need for the gospel. So the gospel is not for the just. The law is not for the just, but it's for the sinners. And he gives us three clear, clear classifications of people. He says the, the law is given for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the, holy and prof, the unholy and profane, 
See, what he's saying is these groups of sinners were lawbreakers and rebels that are ungodly and sinful. They're unholy and they're irreligious. These are three broad categories that covers everyone that has ever been given life. Do you see yourself in one of those categories? Maybe you're like, oh, I'm in all three of those categories. It doesn't matter if you're in one of those categories or in all three of those categories. Guess what? You're in need of salvation. Right? And then to further clarify that, he goes on and he, he begins to highlight sins that violate the Ten Commandments. Right? Not, not the first five, but the last ones. Right? He says, for those, this is the way if you're unholy, if you're ungodly, if you're profane, if you're irreligious, this, this is how it fleshes itself out. Then you're going to do actions. He says, those that strike their fathers and mothers, right? which is a violation of honoring your father and mother. For murderers, those who kill. The sexually immoral and men who practice homosexuality don't commit adultery. And slavers do not steal. Liars and perjurers do not give false testimony. So what Paul is saying, in essence, is the, gospel, the law has been given to show our need for salvation. Now, what happens a lot of times in our world today is that someone likes to come to the word of God and they, they see these lists and they want to use these lists to compare themselves to one another, right? Or, or take a certain sin and elevate it to the point of this is the unpardonable sin. This one's okay, but this one's not, right? And if you take a look at that list, are you guilty of any of those? Have you completely your whole life honored your mother and father? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? <laughs> Let's not. That would be some ugly stuff this morning. Right? And according to the law, if you violated one law, you're guilty of it all. That's the way it works. So this morning, let us be reminded, it doesn't matter if you're a murderer this morning. It doesn't matter if you are a liar this morning. We're all in desperate need of a savior. You see, what the law does is it levels the playing field. What's amazing is that we can come into this place on a Sunday morning, and it doesn't matter like, how good we look on the outside. It doesn't matter how, how uh, Christian of a lifestyle we try to live. One thing is true every time we walk into this place is that each one of us have sinned this week. Each one of us have. And some, some have their sins that are atoned for because they've placed faith in Jesus Christ. And some still have their sins that they're guilty of. But as we look at one another, let us be reminded that we are all in desperate need of Jesus. So Paul charges Timothy to call out those who have drifted from the gospel. He says, this gospel we've been entrusted with, we must guard it, we must care for it, because it is the hope of the nations, it is the hope for generations, it is the only hope that we have, and so we must guard it, we must keep it. So Paul calls them out. Let me give you a, a couple of tests. Like, if you want to know, like, hey, is what I'm hearing, like, from the Lord, is, is it good? Especially if it's in uh, the context of the church, or maybe it's in the context of your friendships and your other relationships. Is someone in my life speaking truth into me, or someone in my life speaking things that are not of the Lord? Here are two tests. 
Okay, these are two tests, and these are, there may be more, but these are the two that, that I try to use in my own life as I'm sifting through a world that's full of misinformation and a, a world that's full of lies and a world that has delivered truth. How do we do this? Two things. Does what I'm hearing, does what I'm reading, does what I'm listening to, does it point me to Christ? And does it point me to truth? Right? So if what I'm hearing points me to truth, points me to Christ, then it's worthy of acceptance. The second, does what I'm hearing bring unity? Does it bring unity? Right? There, there are lots of times that we live in our lives and we hear terrible information. We, we get terrible advice from people that are around us. Like, this is how it happens. Like, we, we go through a difficult time in our lives and we, we, we get a, a friend that comes close to us. And we're like, hey, I just got to tell you what's going on in my life. So we begin to throw up on them about all the things in our life. And that friend is not a good friend if what they do is they feed into dissension into your relationships. Are you hearing me? If you're, going, if you're having a difficult time with your spouse and you're listening to someone and that, that person is giving you advice, this is, you should leave your husband, you should leave your wife. It is a terrible, that's a terrible person. No, no, that, that's terrible information, that's terrible advice. Right, gospel advice says in our human relationships, we're to seek reconciliation, we're to seek forgiveness. When we mess up, we're to seek repentance. Right, those are, those are things that we should be saying. So if you have voices in your life that are seeking to divide you from other godly relationships, stop listening to them. It's terrible advice. But those are the, that, that person in themselves can be a false teacher. We ourselves can be false teachers at times when we shift away from the gospel. So does what I'm listening to point me to Christ and to truth, and does it bring unity? And the reason for this is because the power of the gospel always promotes unity, and the power of the gospel always promotes peace. Without the gospel, we're divided. So hold to the gospel. Second, as we walk through this, uh, I want us to see that we're to hold the gospel so sinners may be saved. Look at me in verse 12. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to, this, to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever amen we're to hold to the gospel so that sinners may be saved like in these verses we get a small picture into Paul's testimony 
Right? Paul grew up as a man that thought he was doing right before the Lord. He lived out the law and tried to earn his own righteousness before the Lord. So much so that there was a time in Paul's life that he was a persecutor of Christians. That he sought to silence all Christians. You think your life is bad? Are you trying to kill people actively every single day? Paul was. Paul was a terrible person. And he thought he was doing right. But when God showed up in his life, when Christ showed up in his life, we see beautiful things about Paul. Paul says that he once was and now is different. He once was a blasphemer. He once was a persecutor. He once was an insolent opponent. And now he's been entrusted with the gospel and he's holding it. So that which he was against, he now is for And how did this happen? Well, it wasn't based on him. But if we look at this, we see it was based on mercy. Even in his unbelief and his ignorance, there was mercy, there was grace, there was love. All of this he received through Christ. All of this, this love, this forgiveness, this new life, is found only in Christ Jesus, which is himself the gospel. See, I love what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the gospel message. The gospel message is, first of all, you are a sinner. You can't save yourself, but Christ can. Christ came. God himself took on flesh, came and lived in this life, and he never disobeyed the Father. He lived according to the law, never violating the law a second of his life. So in every way that you and I are disobedient, he was obedient. And he went to the end of his life where he freely gave of his life as a sacrifice for our sin. As the pure, spotless lamb, Jesus gave himself up to be tortured on a cross. But not just by humans, right? The the thing that was taking place on, on the cross was not just humanity killing a man. But what took place on the cross was God putting to death sin. For the Bible tells us that on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus took on sin. He became sin. And by doing that, the wrath of God was poured out on his son. This was an amazing exchange that we can't miss the importance of. Your sin, my sin, was placed on Jesus and he endured the wrath of God and Jesus died but he didn't stay dead in a grave Jesus came back alive and by coming back alive God saw his sacrifice as enough so now death and sin is put to death and forgiveness comes and so what happens in the cross of Christ what happens in Christ is that there is the ability to have peace with God a sinful person can have peace with God when they allow the blood of Jesus to cover their sins. And that doesn't happen for everyone. It only happens to those that come to place faith in Jesus. Have you done that this morning? Have you come to the place in your life where you've considered Jesus and he is your only hope for salvation? If you haven't, today can be the day for your salvation. The gospel of Jesus says that sinners can be made whole 
again. I see this a lot of times. You know, imagine for a moment, uh, it's the middle of summer, and you decide you're going to go out in the woods for a day, and you're going to mess around in like some, some mud, and you're going to climb trees, and you're going to rip your pants, and you're going to do all this stuff. You're going to have cuts all over yourself because you ran through briars, and you're just a dirty mess. And you come home, and before you get into the house, your family's like, hey, you're dirty. And you've been spending so much time having so much fun that day, you didn't even realize that you'd become dirty. And you look down, and you're like, oh, you're right. Where did this mud come from? Where did, where did, all of the, where did these stains come from? And you realize that you're, you're dirty. But then you know, hey, I want to be clean because I want to go inside and be with the family, so i got to get clean. So imagine this for a moment. You know you've got to get clean, and so you're like, okay, And you're like trying to clean yourself up with your mess, right? You can't clean yourself up with the mud that you've been messed around in, right? No, no matter of rubbing it, whatever. You need to take a shower, right? You have to go through the act of shedding that old stuff and getting into the shower and being cleaned. You don't clean yourself before you get in the shower. You go into the shower so you can be cleaned. Right? So many times people come to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and they look at themselves and they realize how dirty they are. And they're like, I can't come to Jesus yet. I can't come to Jesus yet. Look at all that I've done. And so they try to clean themselves up and they try to, try to do all that other stuff and they don't realize that you come to Jesus so that you can be clean. He takes you in your dirtiness. He takes you in your filthiness. He takes you in all of your, shit, your sin and your shame, and he accepts you, and then he changes you. So that at the end of the day, when you walk out of that spiritual shower and you're looking around, you're like, look at what God did. Not look at what I did. That's the beauty of the gospel, my friends. There's no requirement. It's just we just trust in what he has already done. Lastly, hold to the gospel so we don't shipwreck our lives. Right? Paul says this in verse 18. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have shipwrecked their faith, among who are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Right, what Paul is trying to, to say here is he's raising the bar. He's saying we have to be vigilant about what we believe and what beliefs come into our community of faith. We have to be on our guard, constantly seeing if things that are infiltrating our ideas, if they hold up to our doctrine or if they're deviating from the doctrine. Hold fast to the gospel because if we let go, if we slide, what in essence is happening is we're shipwrecking our faith. And Paul calls out two, two men in particular, Herminius and Alexander, who have just done that. They have, they have allowed another faith, another idea, another doctrine to come into their lives. And because of it, it has shipwrecked their faith. A couple summers ago, we had the wonderful opportunity of spending some time on Torch Lake. And if you've ever been to Torch Lake, you know it's beautiful, right? Like, but the biggest thing about Torch Lake are the sandbars, right? Well, we ended up renting a pontoon boat for a couple days, and I remember going into the shop where uh, we're getting all the gear and all that, and I look up on this wall, and there's all these, like, mangled props. 
And I'm like, hey, what, what are all those? And he's like, yeah, that's the wall of shame. Right? That's, that's the wall. These, there are people out there that have, have taken the boats that they've rented, and one of the big things that they check at all these rental places is the prop. You take a picture of the prop before you rent it and take a picture of If you know what the prop is, it's a little propeller that, makes the, that spins in the water and makes the boat go, okay? So I was, I was looking at him, and I was like, I was like, oh, man, that's bad, that's bad. That, oh, that one's the worst. Like, and it was the last one, and I was like, what happened? She's, and the lady was like, that just happened last week. There was some dude that was coming in from out of town. He rented one of these pontoon boats, and I have no idea how it really happened, but this is the story that I'm told. The guy had that thing full throttle as fast as it possibly can go and rammed it right into the sandbar. Got that thing so stuck in there that they, it took him hours to dig it out of the sandbar, right? I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's not good. And so the whole time we rented the boat, I was like, how's the prop? How's the prop? How's the prop? Don't get it too close to the dock. I care about that prop. I'm not paying for that prop. That prop better be okay. So anytime we got anywhere close to shallow water, I was like, pull the prop up. Hey, hey, how's the prop? You can ask my family. They're like, dad was freaking out about the prop. Why? Because I'd been entrusted with the prop. It was my responsibility to make sure that I didn't damage that prop. Oh, I could use it, and I could have fun. I could spend all day tooling around the lake, but in the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking about the prop. This is what Paul is saying to us in the church. The gospel has been entrusted to us. We care for it. We watch it. We guard it with our lives, and if anyone tells us anything other than the gospel itself that has been revealed to us in Christ, we cast it out. Because it's very, very easy for us, as we're enjoying life, to forget about the prop and run it aground. And what we've just done is we've just shipwrecked our faith. Brothers and sisters, it's so important. It's so important that we live out the gospel in our lives. We care for it. And I love what, what Paul did in sharing his own testimony. He shows us a great thing as we're, we're talking about the gospel, right? Your life is evidence of the gospel. Why? Because you have God's story in you. Right? Just as Paul once was, came to Christ, and now is, that's your story too, and no one can mess with that. Right? No one can tell you that your story is not your story because it's what God has done in you. And so one of the most powerful tools in evangelism as we share the gospel is sharing our story. Communicating before Christ, I once was, but I came to know Christ, and this is how I came to know Christ. And since knowing Christ, this is who I am now. Man, what a beautiful power that we have. I want to encourage you, just as we come to a time of close and we wrap up our time in God's Word today, not only are we called to entrust the gospel, we're called to share and communicate the gospel. We have to use words. You can't just live a righteous life. You can't live a godly life and not share what makes you different with your friends and coworkers. Because if you just live that righteous life, the, the life that follows the Lord, and you don't share words with people, people will think that they can get there on their own efforts. The life of holiness that's in you is not your life. You are the result of God's work in you. And if you don't tell people that, then they're going to think that they can fix themselves. Right? You don't have to live a perfect life. Live a life of a walk of faith. 
Like don't don't think, oh, well, I've got I can't mess up around my friends. I can't mess around mess up around my coworkers because then then they'll think that I'm a hypocrite. Well, you are, and that's okay because Jesus came to save us in our hypocrisy. Right, the greatest thing we can do is when we fall down in front of people that were seeking to live the gospel out before, we say, you know what, I messed up, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not perfect, but Jesus. I'm not perfect, but Jesus. Jesus is working on me. Jesus is changing me. Jesus is transforming me. It is Jesus. Tonight we're beginning a, a class um, entitled Fishers of Men. It's a six-week course on how to share your faith. And I encourage you to come and be a part of that. It's going to meet tonight at 6 o'clock in room 108, which is right outside these doors. You don't have to sign up, just show up. That's a great way for you to do that. Second of all, tonight uh, we're also doing a special uh, study with my life group. We're walking through 1 Timothy. And so if you'd like to be a part of that study where we are going to dive a little bit deeper into what we've been talking about and also have a time to discuss like our own church, like how are we doing at measuring up? And tonight we're going to be talking about the, the gospel specifically. And we're going to be talking about ways in which we see other churches or we ourselves as a church may be tempted to, to deviate from the gospel. And we're going to talk about ways in which we can make sure that we are guarded here. So those are, those are two great application points. The third today is that if you've never come to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Today can be the day of salvation. The Bible says all we need to do is call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Would you do that today? Or maybe you're here today and you kind of wandered away from the gospel. You've forgotten and you've lived a life of legalism where you think that you've got to live a perfect life and maybe you, you've fallen off the wagon, so to speak, or maybe you've been living outside of God's design and you're like, I can't come back. Oh, that's anti-gospel. The gospel says that we can't fix ourselves. The gospel says that Jesus can. So always come back to Jesus. Always come back to Jesus. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your truth that we've heard. And I pray, God, that in our lives we would believe this truth and we would live out this truth. Father, I'm thankful that we are reminded today that you are the one that has the power to change us. That if you had the power to change Paul, you have the power to change us. So, Father, I know we live in a world that is wicked and depraved, seeking to constantly try to pull us away from you. But I pray, God, that you and your truth would ground us. That your truth would give us a, a setness in our heart that we would not waver to the left or to the right. Even as we're bombarded by a myriad of messages from the world. Father, help us to stay true. Today, I pray if there's someone that doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation. Father, today, if there's someone that's struggling today, may they come and bear their burdens before you. But Father, do now the mighty work that you desire in us as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.